Welcome to the Rancho Cordova podcast, brought to you by the Rancho Cordova Film Office. Today, we have a very special show for you as we welcome back Mayor David Sander to the podcast. Mayor Sander has served the city of Rancho Cordova since the city was incorporated back in 2003. And whereas one of the original elected officials, he has served on the city council for over 20 years. And this year, 2024, is serving his fifth term as mayor. We're particularly delighted to have Mayor Sander on the show today, as this year he is also serving as president of the National League of Cities, which also celebrates their 100th anniversary in 2024. The National League of Cities represents the 19,000 cities, towns and villages of our country in Washington, D.C. And this gives our mayor a great insight and connection to other cities and their operations across the country. I really enjoyed welcoming Mayor David Sander, PhD, back onto the show. My name is Charles Lego, and please enjoy today's episode. So, Mayor Sander, welcome back to the Rancho Cordova podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. So, I'm not sure if you know this, but you were sitting in that very seat almost one year to the day. I don't know if you remember that. Really? I certainly yeah. remember it. And the last time you were here, your episode launched on February 15th of 2023. And in those days, we were we were flipping shows fairly quickly. Now we have them sort of in line. But you were sitting here one year ago today. Wow. That's so, kind of remarkable. So welcome back to the podcast. That's great to be here. And of course, this time you're back as the, uh, as the mayor of our city. And... Um, I believe the fifth time in your 20 years that you, in 20 years uh, in, in the city council, that you've been the mayor, right? This is the fifth time? That's right. Yeah. We incorporated in 2003, and I have been mayor five times. Yeah. This is the then. fifth time. Yeah. yeah. And as a special bonus for us this time, you're also the serving president in 2024 of the National League of Cities. And not only that, but during their 100th year anniversary, if I'm correct. That's right. Yeah, the NLC is 100 years old, and I have the honor of being the president this year, right, 2024. Yeah. yeah, so that's really so we're lucky for us. We have the mayor, and we have the president of National League of Cities right. with us today. So let's start off with those who maybe are not familiar with the National League of Cities. Tell us what the organization is. Sure. Well, National League of Cities, as you just mentioned, is 100 years old. And its duty is to represent the over 19,000 cities, towns, and villages all across the United States. And by and large, it does that in Washington, D.C., by representing all of those cities' interests to Congress and to the administration and to all the regulators who are in D.C. So it has a representational function. You could think of it as the lobbying organization yeah. for all those cities. And most um, organizations... Uh, most institutions or industries have these sorts of representative bodies. The big ones in D.C. are the National League of Cities because of the, the number of members, the number of people. We represent like over 220 million people who live in cities. But also the uh, National Governors Association, people might be familiar with, or the National Association of Counties or similar organizations. A secondary role we have, and this is also a very important one, is education. So people get elected to city councils. They may or may not know a lot about what to do as a council member or what cutting edge ideas are in city management. We provide educational opportunities for council members and for staff. Okay. And if you think about what cities do, it's extremely broad. Right, you know, right. we do economic development and policing and we've got to run parks programs in normal cases. There's there's a huge breadth of stuff we're responsible for. So these are like courses. You yeah. Take a course yeah. on being a cow. So you um, would go to our convention and there would be sessions on transportation and on road management wow. and on fiscal issues wow. and on information technology. And how many cities did you say? There's uh, over 19,000 in the 19, United 000. States. So there's a lot of cities that don't belong then. There are, well, that's the total number in the United States is 19,000. And we've got something over uh, 3,000 that are actively engaged with us in on a city, regular basis. In, the in this country, there are 19,000 cities and villages? Cities, towns, and villages. That's, it? that's right. That's it. Wow. But that's a lot. That is a lot, <laughs> but I thought it would be more. Okay, so you don't have all of them. They're not all members. They're, no, no. Right. Uh, usually what happens is there are also state leagues. Like right. Cal Cities represents all the cities in California. Usually those organizations have near 100% membership. 
Okay. But we have a, a somewhat diminished number. And you can imagine that a lot of the cities in the country are pretty small. Yeah. They can be hamlets, really. Right, right. And they, w- they won't necessarily send someone to meetings every year. So, so you get to meet all the mayors of all these cities? There are, yeah. We yeah. meet some. We have wow. some remarkable meetings when a whole yeah. bunch of mayors and council members get together. So good networking. It's That would be probably the third most important thing we do, yeah. which is you can go to a session. I can go to a session on code enforcement or something right. like that. and. The cool thing is everybody in there is also interested in code enforcement, which is not an everyday topic, but you can talk to the people who are there with you. You might get better information there than you actually get from the programmed yeah. presentation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's wow. really valuable. As I networking. would imagine it would be fascinating. So as both president of the NLC, and we'll call it NLC now because yep. it's a mouthful, and the mayor of Rancho Cordova, you have a unique perspective, I guess, on the challenges and opportunities that face cities. So how do you balance the roles and how does your experience as mayor inform your work at the RN, at, at the NLC and vice versa? It's, uh, yeah, I, I'd say you can't do either job without having done the other one. Right. You know, um, I would not be a decent president of the NLC if I didn't have a really right. thorough understanding of how yeah. cities work. Right. And having built one, as, as right. is the case here in Ranch Cordova, I have a really unique, probably deep view on that. Right. Um, same thing for, you know, being mayor of Ranch Cordova. I am really informed by all the contacts that I've made right. and all the education I've received right. and all those offhand conversations I've had being involved at the NLC. So I see the two fitting, you know, really hand right. in hand, like they were made for each other. The challenge, of course, is time. Um, and what I can say is, you know, I had a, a son who was very active in high school and I was very active with him in high school. Until last year, and he is now off at Notre Dame as a freshman. Oh, he's at Notre Dame? So yeah. I am dealing with empty nest syndrome by being president of the NLC. Right. I don't know how I'll deal with it next year. Maybe right. I'll be over it. But right. <laughs> that, in terms of, like, my time, that that's one factor. Another factor is we have a really strong city council. Um, so Siri Pulapati is our vice mayor this year, and I have every confidence in her. Linda Budge is there. You know, she's been mayor numerous times. She's been on the council as long as I have. We have a lot of leadership in place in the city. Donald Terry, Garrett Gatewood. And we have a great city manager. And we don't have any big crises at the city that that are going to detract from this mission. So I I think this is the perfect time, and I'm probably the right person to be in the role. And, hey, back to the networking, you get to – if you have any issues here in Rancho, I'm sure you could just pick up the phone and call – well, are they big cities? Like, do you know some of the big mayors of the big cities? Yeah, yeah. Big cities, there is a, another organization called the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Right. It's um, a tenth the size of yeah. the NLC or so. Right. And it typically caters to just the big cities. Oh, okay. Um, so I would say on a whole, the giant city mayors are sort of more engaged over there. And okay. there aren't very many giant cities if you actually right. start talking right. numbers. But they're, they're more engaged over there than they are at the NLC. Right. But we still have... I'd say at least half of the big city mayors engaged with the NLC. So I was fortunate to attend a lunch a couple of weeks ago where in your first speech of your term as mayor, you outlined your vision for 2024, not only as the mayor, but also as the president of the NLC. And in that speech, you said that under your presidency of the NLC, your theme is cities as laboratories of democracy. And and when you were appointed to the NLC, you said something which I have to say struck a chord with me, and I'm going to read it if you just bear with me because it's it's actually, for me, it's very good. So you said, as a practicing scientist, I quickly realized that government felt familiar to me. I was experimenting with strategies, hypothesizing, changing variables, reinventing processes, and observing the impacts, all in the pursuit of building an amazing new city. I found that being a local leader is not all that different from being a scientist. Our cities, towns, and villages are like laboratories, places for discovery where we have the opportunity to explore new ideas and experiment with solutions to gain a broader understanding of the world. Well said. That's what you say. (laughs) 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 Well, Mayor Sander, as I have you here today... Give us an outline of what you mean by by that statement and how you think you can implement this in Rancho and what's cooking in the lab here in <laughs> Rancho. And lastly, is this a vision that can be implemented across all cities? 
Yeah, I think um, I'm going to take the last point first. Um, I think it is sort of implemented across all cities to varying degrees, whether we realize it or not. You know, um, as someone who really loves science, I think we haven't done a great job right. with science education. People right. are kind of scared of it. Right. Some people might automatically sort of right, sit back right. on their chair when they hear it. But the reality is most city leaders, if they're interested in improving their communities, have to do things that are basically experiments. You know, we used to repave the road with our own crews. What if we outsource the largest jobs? Is that going to save us money? Do we get a better quality product? Does, you know, does that help us internally in any other way? Does it speed projects up? I mean, all those sorts of things right. could happen as a result of that change, but you got to try it. Right. And I think unless you are elected to an office to do nothing and to see your city not grow, then you have to be doing experiments and taking little risks to see what happens. And then if you're smart, you adjust based on what you learn because you, you should fail in this process. You should have things not turn out which, the way you expected. Right. That's the way experiments go. You learn from it, you move on. So in Rancho Cordova, I've had an enormous opportunity to basically play in the laboratory of democracy, which is a city, and figure out from day one how everything should work in this city. Because you know when Linda and I and three others were elected, in 2002, there was no city, there was no city council, there was there was no city employees. There were five elected officials that election night, and we had to figure everything out. So a lot of what we have done in Ranch Cordova has been done through that process of treating this like a laboratory and, and finding solutions that work better as a result. Five, five elected officials and Kurt Haven, right? That's right, that's yeah. right. <laughs> So I would imagine in your role as, as president of the NLC, you have the opportunity to advocate for cities nationwide. Is that something that I, uh, you, I would imagine you Absolutely. do? Absolutely. So what are some of the most important issues or priorities that you will champion on behalf of those cities? Well, we have, we have some perennial uh, ones. You know, there's a lot of federal local partnership and the nature of federal local partnerships is changing. I'll give you a couple of examples. During the Obama presidency, we had an economic crisis and some stimulus payments were made. And in the Department of Transportation, in terms of road projects, and that's by and large the largest source of funding local government gets from the federal government, they chose to use state um, agencies, like state departments of transportation, for that funding. And what they discovered was, even though the language said you must share with your cities, most states found ways not to do that to use money on their own projects and say, hey, you know, Ranch Cordova, we have a state highway going through there. We're going to spend some of our money on that. That'll be your share. And and play games like that. Other states just said, yeah, we're not going to do that at all. Wow. But, um, you know, NLC noticed. I would say the people who work Department of Transportation noticed. Leaders on Capitol Hill noticed. Boy, that was not an optimal way to do this. And so when more recently we have done transportation initiatives and have had very large bills passed, like the Transportation um, Act just a couple of years ago, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law, that modality was changed so that now funding goes directly to cities instead of going to a state and assuming there would be distribution. I think, you know, previously distributing money to 50 states, that's simple. Distributing right. it to 19,000 cities, yeah. towns, and villages, that's hard. Yeah, that's... But technology has overcome a lot of that. Right. And so it's issues like that that we have to make clear. This is also a presidential election year. Yeah. So as, as that process gets forward, we're standing up a presidential election task force at NLC to really engage with both campaigns so that when the new administration or a continuation of this administration happens uh, a year from now, we are well positioned to have communications and perhaps even appointees in that administration that really understand where cities are coming from yeah. and what that federal local partnership ought to look like. So you really hit the jackpot. You're the mayor, you're the president of the NLC on the hundredth year in an election year. That's right. Yeah, it's wow. a trifecta, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about homelessness and affordable housing. They're issues that face a lot of cities. Do you think cities within the NLC can collaborate to tackle these issues? And can the NLC be a leader to help that? Because homelessness is a big problem. Yeah. And I'm I, sure it's not only Sacramento, it's everywhere. If I continue to answer your previous question, homelessness would have been one of those yeah. topics I would have raised. And, you know, it's it's it varies a lot by state, both by how many homeless you have and who is responsible for or positioned to best help out in those situations. Um, here in California, cities are not funded for any kind of social service. 
If we do it, it's almost by accident or by local choice. <clears throat> and the challenge is that not only are we not funded, we're not staffed for it. You know, so our city doesn't employ normally any social workers. We don't have any medical care. We don't do any job training. We don't have any staff inside of our organization who are capable of or who have any you experience mean cities in general, managing that. Cities in general, in general right? General, yeah. In California, it's pretty much all in the county, right. all the social services. Right. And, you know, there's a wide range, you know, from health to mental health to job training to housing. All those things are funded through counties from the state. The county is sort of acts as the, the local office of the state. So I would say cities nationwide have a varying – we might be at one extreme of very little traditional responsibility. Um, other states, social services are done through cities. So that is an interesting conversation that we have at NLC. I think the other half of the equation is provision of more places to live. Right. And in California, often we're dealing with state laws that make things very slow and very difficult in order to approve housing. We're dealing with um, extraordinarily high land prices as a result, which makes new housing not very affordable right. for most people. And to some extent, that drives um, drives our homelessness issue. But I think to a larger extent, we have issues of uh, addiction and mental health, and I'm probably repeating myself when I list them like that, um, that drive a lot of our chronic homelessness. And that situation has not been well addressed, I would say. It's somewhat um, politically incorrect right. by, by a lot of homeless advocates to, to even talk about those topics. And I think that's a shame right. because as a scientist, uh, I know, you know what people are suffering from, particularly the chronic homelessness. Um, and people generally have, you know, one of two views of that. Either they think it's all chronic or they think none of it is chronic. Um, and, of course, the truth is somewhere in between. Right. Someone in either poll is, is probably not correct. And we need broader solutions to that problem. And in California specifically, we need really aggressive treatment for mental health that right. we haven't had since the, since the 1960s when we decided to shut down all the state hospitals and implement community mental health care, which we never actually implemented community mental health care um, on the backside. And we need better um, interdictions and treatments for um, addiction, which has an enormous cost in our society we just don't recognize. Homelessness, definitely. We've had uh, County Supervisor Pat Hume here and Congressman Army Bearer, and both of them, they don't really have an answer for homelessness how to fix it. Yeah, it is It is really interesting if you look at um, different states' approach. Yeah. You know, California and the West Coast are kind of an outlier. You would think that a jurisdiction with similar weather, as is often thought to be the case, like Florida would have similar numbers. It's, it's not at all the same. Yeah. Very, very different. There's something about the West Coast and how we approach social services that is failing. So when you're in these meetings at the NLC, do, do – um... Does it come up with other in, – in normal conversation at your big group meetings? Is that is it an issue everywhere? Absolutely. Uh, the most common way we talk about it would be what sort of partnerships can you as a city form to alleviate some of the homeless you know, situation right. in our jurisdiction? Who can you partner with? Right. And here we've done a good job because you've got the homeless navigators, right? Mm -hmm. I mean homeless – the unhoused in Rancho Cordova is not – you don't see it as being a big issue like it is across in Sacramento. Yeah, our homeless numbers in the last count actually went down. Right. Um, so whereas why is that? everybody else's went up. I think it's what you just mentioned. I think it's the navigator. Yeah. We don't really the police department. Right. That yeah. is part of it's part of our homeless yeah. um, outreach team. Yeah. So we've got a navigator there. We have code enforcement. We have police. We have you know fire if we need them. Right. We have connections with good local programs. We have provided a lot of homeless housing ourselves, particularly for veterans. Yeah, Mather Veterans Village. We've that's sort of above and beyond what a normal city would do. Um, and and in all of that, we are still spending massive amounts of police and code enforcement resources right. on homelessness. And we had um, Russell um, from Code Enforcement here, Dusham, and he told me, which something I didn't know, that there is actually um, a house where they for long term people to get them back on track yeah we do in, operate in Rancho Cordova. we quietly operate it's very uh, quiet because yeah he, that as well he sort of very casually mentioned it and i was like mm, okay yeah most cities don't that was a non-profit that was sort of in trouble yeah um and we had the opportunity to step in and help and keep it 
keep it running. Okay. So the city is basically in the, in the driver's over. seat there. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, we can't do that sort of thing without a really good partner on the right. other side. Right. Sort of like Mercy Housing is our partner for Mather Veterans Village. Right. And then, so the navigator issue, the way the police department deals with homeless issues, do you take that back and give that those tips, advice? Absolutely. Yeah. And, and some of the way we formed that has been, you know, informed by, by my interactions at NLC. Collaboration between different levels of government is essential, I would, you know, I, I would think. How do you foster collaboration between Rancho Cordova, federal state authorities, and you're the t a 20 year veteran here on the city council and five time mayor. What advice would you give other mayors who seek to strengthen those partnerships? Because obviously you've done it here. Yeah. Um, you know, in an ideal world, you would hope the, the bureaucracy would sort of be watching out, you know, for what it was set up to do. Um, and in many cases, that is the case. You have, you know, responsible, caring people who are working in that infrastructure, in that bureaucracy, and they're trying to achieve their mission. But there's a challenge with bureaucracy in that organizations, not individuals, but the entire organization, by and large, has all the pressures um, placed upon it to act in its own survival and success, not towards its mission. And so there's always this sort of, you know, yes, we need to do this for our mission, but boy, I don't want to lay Joe off. Or, you know, I like doing what I'm doing now. I don't want to change what I'm doing. Or change is risk. We can't take any risk because we're a public agency. All these sorts of holds are around bureaucracy that, that holds it back. And unless you actively manage to avoid those things, you end up losing your mission. And so my advice to other uh, mayors is get to know the people involved in agencies, get to know the political leaders. You will probably accomplish more there than you may going through the regular channels because the regular channels are often designed for the bureaucracy, not for the mission of the agency, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. So get to know the nonprofits. Get to know the nonprofits, find those partnerships, find in the really big picture, you want to find passionate people in your own community who are interested in something and then facilitate their interest if it's in your community's right. interest. So it's something I'm curious. You started this, you started the city. I mean, you're probably not going to agree with me, but you did. Um, is it as a council member, what's more important, county or federal to like to make the relationships with? Which one is more important to you being the leader of a city? That's an interesting question. You know, the vast majority of people's quality of life is local. Yeah. So, I mean, in our case, streets, parks, schools, economic development, development, um, all sorts of community programs and celebrations and recreation opportunities, um, public safety, all of that is controlled by local government entities. The county is responsible for some jobs programs, some larger transportation interests, um, all the health and human services stuff that doesn't impact as many people. It's important, but not, not as important. Federal government helps fund a tiny bit, a really tiny bit of everything I just mentioned, probably the most on transportation. And they're responsible for, you know, Social Security, Medicare, which has a lot of impact on, on um, some people's lives, national security. But if you add all of that up, I mean, the local government piece, the below county piece is the most critical for people's quality of life. There's right. almost no debating that. And so then what comes next? Boy, I don't know. I think probably uh, that county relationship yeah. matters more because we as an individual city rely on them in partnership to build roads that extend beyond our borders, you know, so our people can find work there or people can come to work here. We rely on them for that social uh, network and background and, and the JPAs that we share. So do you work closely with Pat Hume? Like, do you talk to him often? I'd say, yeah, we have regular meetings with yeah. our supervisors, you know, both formal and informal. Yeah. Um, generally more topic driven, but we also try to have just a routine set of discussions so that we have a little bit of time to just free think about things right, and discuss right. things. Um, the the NLC, they come up with the All America City Award. The I National guess. Civic League does. Oh, oh, the National Civic. Okay. Now that is confusing because I've oh, been okay. chair of the National Civic League. And also okay. the NLC, so it's the oh, National okay. Civic All League, NCL, oh, okay. and NLC. 
All right. Well, my question, <laughs> my question was going to be that Rancho Cordova was All America City 2010, and again 2019. Yeah. So uh, is it going to get a third? I a hat track? I would assume another one is coming at some yeah. point. Yeah. If we keep the schedule, I guess it's 2028. Right. But uh, I warned Micah, the city manager. You know, we might need to take it up. Yeah. Before then, the National so, Civic League is a fascinating organization. So, what is the criteria to get that to become an All America City? You have to really demonstrate, and this is something Rancher was good at, which is why we won it twice. You have to really demonstrate the ability to bring people together to solve a community problem of some kind, not just government doing it, but a partnership. I mean, ideally led by citizens or led by nonprofits or led by business, not led by government. Okay. And if you can show that kind of collaboration, that's a healthy community. You know, when I became president of NLC, I gave a sort of a lengthy talk. I don't know if that's available on YouTube anywhere or not, but it was about, you know, the nature of cities and how thousands of years ago, people lived next to each other and realized, wow, this is better than living apart. We can share stuff. You know, we can share responsibility for our flock of sheep or, you know, share our safety duties or share water. Or, right. You know, we can share things and be better. And that is still where our focus needs to be as cities. All too often now, people think about the city or government, and they're like, well, I have a problem. Do you have a program? And our government leaders are all too often to say, yes, I've got a program for your problem. But the reality is those programs rarely solve the problem because problems have so many nuances and variables, and they're so uh, discrete that some big omnibus assumptions that are made in setting out a program don't address the actual problem very well. It's sort of like a dumb way to do it. The smart way to do it is to engage people in what they care about. And this is sort of a theme with me, with the National Civic League, the All-America City status, and with the National League of Cities this year, is government needs to do a better job of engaging people in their passions. And we have some stellar examples of that here in Ranch Cordova. So are we thinking about 20, when is it? 2028? 2028, yeah. yeah. Are we thinking about that? I think so. And you know, what I would nominate is uh, mm -hmm. our arts collaboration, yeah. which has just been exceptional here in Ranch Cordova. Right. I don't know a year ago if I told the story or not, but you know, we had a, a group of really determined artists come to the city and say, please establish an arts commission. Right. And we said, no, we're not really interested in that. We don't want staff and public meetings and record keeping and, you know, debates and meetings. televised meetings and all that. Just go over to the Cordova Community Council, you know, our nonprofit partner, and talk to them about doing an art show and see what happens. Well, what are we here now? 12, 15, 12, yeah. 13 years later, right. we've got the Mac. We're right. sitting here in your studio that's a result of that indirectly. Right. We've got a Philharmonic. We've got a community band. Right. We've got theater companies. Yeah. We've got arts in school. We have big arts events. I mean, we've remodeled one of the most historic buildings in, in Ranch Cordova to house this. We have right. concerts. All of that happened not because government said, oh, I've got a program for your problem, or not because we set up an arts commission. That was just empowering artists to go do right. what they wanted to do. Right, right. And that works in every category of what a city does. Right. So the arts life, the arts community here, is as a result of the of the city not getting involved, the right. government not getting involved. Not trying to manage yeah. it or predict it. Because we never could have come up with all that. Right. It would and, have never happened. And it's something that we've recognized on this podcast because we have a sport we have guest hosts. Mike Miranda's one for sports. Mm -hmm. Obviously Rancho Cordova has the big history on sports. But we just um Cheryl Gleason from I the heard. Mac, yes. Yeah, she's just uh, she's done two shows now. Very nice. And it's just gonna focus on on the arts. So I definitely hear you there. So I think that would be our next nomination for All America City. Yeah. You um, know, just, it's a very discreet thing. Every community has people who are interested in the arts. Figure out from a city perspective, how do you broker and catalyze and facilitate their success in what they want to do? Because if you tap their passions, right. sky's the limit. If you as an organization and your bureaucracy think, oh, we can manage this, oh, there are going to be some pretty severe limits. Right. Well, we're going to take a very quick break and we'll be right back with Rancho Cordova Mayor David Sander. This show is brought to you by Billy Backstage with Lady Day. Billy Backstage with Lady Day is the acclaimed musical show that looks at the life and music of Billy Holiday. Billy Backstage with Lady Day plays February 16th, 17th, and 18th at the West Sacramento Black Box Theater. For tickets and information, 
please visit www.billybackstage.com. That's www.billybillybackstage.com or call 916-706-2000. And we're back with Rancho Cordova Mayor and President of the National League of Cities, David Sander. So, Mayor Sander, perhaps we can now talk about all things Rancho Cordova for this year with you as mayor. Most people who live in this city know that Rancho Cordova continues to be a rapidly growing city in California. So let's talk about some of the key initiatives and projects that you hope to focus on as mayor to support the continued growth and ensure the continued growth and the well-being of the residents here. Sure. Well, there's a lot. You know, we've talked a little bit earlier about the breadth of responsibilities for uh, a city, and there's a lot of activity going on, you know, in City Hall. I can talk this year about uh, some special things. We've got some um, some new approaches to growing strong neighborhoods. Now, growing strong neighborhoods is at its heart probably the key program in the city of Ranch Cordova, and it's probably one that most people have not heard about, although you've undoubtedly experienced it and, and felt it. Um, when Ranch Cordova became a city, we were really sort of a neglected suburban community that was spiraling down by most measures, whether it be uh, crime, whether it be the quality of our neighborhoods, you know, what it felt to live there, uh, or the maintenance, you know, of common facilities or economic development. Those things were spiraling and we had to come up with a way to turn that around and to stabilize it. And I kind of naively thought at the time, oh, just economic development will do it, bring some more jobs and businesses in here, it'll be fine. Going to the NLC, I realized uh, the problem's a little bigger than that. And it really revolves around this suburban decline that happens everywhere there is a suburb that has aged 40 or 50 or, or 60 years. Property values drop, quality of life sort of falls in that neighborhood. And Growing Star Neighborhoods was our response to that. And there's been a lot of innovation and risk-taking and learning uh, and experimenting with, within that laboratory to figure out how do we stabilize old neighborhoods? How do we make them attractive to uh, young families? How do we convince people to reinvest in this community? And you would see uh, the products of that effort being the remodel of Folsom Boulevard is probably the most visible product of that effort to our focus on code enforcement that is not onerous, but supportive and proactive with people, helping them overcome the problems with landlords or with their property maintenance um, through a bunch of partnerships we established in the nonprofit community. That in, in Growing Star Neighborhoods is uh, a really cool thing we're doing. And, and, and the Growing Strong Neighborhoods Initiative is a collaboration of all the city departments. Right? It is. It's they basically all, all hands. Yeah at some point touch that program. And then I just happen to have some of the points here, but educating residents about code regulations. That's a, that's a part of it, yep. yeah. Implementing proactive enforcement measures, which is what you just said, that's code enforcement. Right, that's exceptionally rare, I have to say. Most jurisdictions are afraid of doing that they because are. you make people mad. Yeah. You know, if I go to your house and I say, hey, you know, you can't have the gutter hanging off your house like that, you gotta fix it. It's irritating. No one wants to be told what to do. Yeah. But we would instead, some And so most governments would do that, and they'd approach, and they'd say, here's your fine for not having your gutter in good right. shape, right? We don't do that. No. We go and we say, hey, uh, we see you got a gutter problem. Um, code actually says you got to have that up there. Do you think you can get it fixed? And if the person says yes, it's great. You know, you think you do it in 30 days? Great. Here's here's some information, you know, what we do in code enforcement. Here's 10 things you can do to be a great neighbor. Here's why we're doing it. There's an explanation. You know, we're making this place safer and more attractive. Uh, we're raising the quality of life. We're improving our schools by doing this, even right. you fixing your gutter. Right. Um, and we don't do it from a, you're, you made a mistake, here's your fine perspective. We are collaborative. If the right. person says, I can't afford to fix it, we will find someone to help them fix right, it. Right, right, right. So it's, providing programs to help residents improve the aesthetics, right? Right. Which is what Russell told us when yep. he was here. Leveraging, leveraging data analysis to effectively tackle issues so you can allocate the resources. Right. So that's a city hall thing. It is. Yeah, we do a lot of analysis of um, police data, code enforcement data, school data, economic development data, 
dog licenses, uh, child absences from schools, any any kind of metric we can get our hands so on. So you know, the city hall knows what's what. That yeah, and you put it all on a map, and you can look at the map and see, boy, that's a hot spot. What what's going on there, and and see what we can do to to intervene with really good data. And that that program is going to continue. It will, yeah. and you know what has changed in the past year or so is that it's now sort of fully uh, proactive um, in all of our neighborhoods. We used to do sort of an annual program, and we do it every three or four years. We called it Blightbusters, right? And we'd go through, and we'd you know we learned a lot in this process, but we'd uh, describe a set of issues we were going to address, and then right. go through the entire city addressing those issues. And what I learned last time you were here is that was you with the cars, right? Oh yeah, that's that how was, we started yeah. towing cars. Yeah. That was the low hanging fruit. And that was yeah. Another um, issue which is important to every city. And I'm sure at the NLC as well, because every city has it, and that's infrastructure. And there are, and I heard you speak, and there are some big infrastructure projects that are coming up here in Rancho. Let's talk about some of those. We we have a gigantic community win um, in a new pedestrian crossing that's right. going to happen at Zinfandel. So right. it's Zinfandel and Highway 50. Yeah. It is not just going to be a pedestrian bridge. It is going to be an architecturally significant pedestrian bridge. And in its construction, it's going to include some historical elements, some performance elements, believe it or not, um, that will make it sort of a destination for people, outside, even outside of the community who might want to come see it. So you might imagine that if the Kings win a game, it might light up in a King's color. Right. Um, and it wouldn't just be a bridge. It would have a suspension element to it. Right, right. So it's a very interesting structure people who would drive on highway 50 would sort well, of know look, it yeah. by oh look at that cool bridge but i saw the the the, the renderings yep but i'm trying to figure out what is the purpose of it is for to get people from one side of the highway to the other side that's the fundamental transportation yeah. purpose because okay. you know we did a remodel on that intersection a few years ago and we made it a lot safer for cars and a lot safer for people but frankly, it's still terrible for what people. What happens and now though, without the bridge? I want to get from this side to that side. You, you can do it. There's now a continuous sidewalk and there are crossings, but they're uncontrolled crossings, meaning the driver has to acknowledge there's a bike uh, trying to cross their path right, and right. slow down, or the, the bicyclist or the, or the walker has to avoid the car. Right. This would be a totally separate path where that right. conflict no doesn't exist. Yeah. And bikes as well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So pedestrians, yeah, walkers, runners. Bikes and it connects obviously that massive job center with all the stores that are just on the other side of the freeway, right? But not reachable except by car, right? And not to put the mayor on the spot here, but when is this going to happen? Oh, you may have me on the spot there. I know the design is near finalized, construction yeah. probably begins either later this year or in uh, 2025. Oh, okay, so it's just down the road, yep. Another important aspect of every city is economic development. And last year here in Rancho, we saw three important companies who came to make their home here. UC Davis Health, Solidime, and Clutch. Clutch is much more recent. It is. Um, and I just visited their offices there. That is a cool place, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So how is an obvious question, but I just want to get your take. How important is economic development and to you? And what innovative ideas are coming in your term, if any? You know, it economic development really ranks high up there for any city official. Yeah. You want jobs for your population. Right. You want people working in your jobs and businesses, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and you want people there who are, you know, generating something, generating some revenue, generating some sales, having positive economic impact. You know, in our city's case, we do not get a lot of retail sales tax, but we get a ton of business to business sales tax. We're very unusual as a city that way because we have so many jobs here. In Rancho Cordova, this is the largest concentration of private sector jobs in Northern California is right here in Rancho Cordova. And those jobs um, generate, you know, trips to and from. So we're wary of the transportation impacts, but they offer enormous opportunity for our residents to work literally right where they live. So with any luck, you could live by the American River, work at Solidine and use that pedestrian crossing I just mentioned to bike or walk to work every day. That would be a nice yeah, lifestyle. That would. If if yeah, someone yeah. chooses to accomplish that, this is this is the sort of place we're laying out because we have a huge diversity of jobs 
in Ranch Cordova. And then if I own a restaurant or a coffee shop or a bar or whatever, that's also important. That's right. right? You're to have 60,000 plus people come in every yep. day. You're going to benefit work. from that. Are they back from the work at home or is it still? It working? depends a little, I think, on the size of business. The small businesses were back almost immediately because you can't operate necessarily remotely with all the with all the small businesses um but the larger the organization gets generally the less the the workers are back in the office so we have some very large floor plate offices and employers here who maybe only have 40 percent of their workforce back um but then there are others such as you know solidime is a new new company here with i think about 1600 employees um they are basically 100 percent back yeah in the office. And I think UCD, um, UC Davis Health, sort of the administration offices all got consolidated here in a uh, 200,000 square foot building. I think it's over, it's over a thousand jobs, maybe even pushing 1500 jobs. Um, there, they got back. They're pretty much all back. Yeah. yeah they're, I think 80% is the number I heard. So I saw, um, a documentary or a show primarily in New York, because um, people are not going back. Right. There's a lot of empty office space and, and people, you know, people who own construction companies that own them or developers uh, have, have lost their shirt on it. Yeah. So the discussion, and I actually just saw in London that the, uh, the British Parliament has just approved offices to be turned into housing. Now, we have a lot of office buildings here. We do. Um, is that something that you ever see would happen? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've actually had talks predating the pandemic with some large floor plate office owners here who said, you know, we've got way more parking than we ever need right. at this facility. What could we do with this? Right. And our response has been, well, there have been, I've seen them from NLC uh, meetings, honestly, some places where you've got a corporate campus of some kind, they've got this extra parking or extra land, and they basically build townhomes on their edge. They share parking in the middle, and then the office building itself still has one frontage on the outside street. So you can imagine if it's a, a traditional block, three sides would suddenly be townhomes. They'd, all those townhome owners would have parking in their back. And the business, the big office that's sort of in the middle of that block, would still have one face towards the 4th Street. Right. So that was something we were contemplating, or some version of that we were contemplating pre, um, pre-pandemic. And I'd say now those kind of discussions are probably heightened. Right. It's hard to retrofit an office building to become yeah. apartments. Yeah. Because there's a lot of plumbing and electrical right. stuff that and that's, that's a what lot this, of work. That's what this documentary basically said. The plumbing and the electrical yeah. and the, the shafts in the middle and But we have no opposition to no. that idea at all. Um, you know, it's very important for cities to adapt, you know, to what the current market is. We can't force things to go. Um, any particular direction. And then at this um, lunch where you gave your first um, speech, um, you rattled off a whole bunch of businesses that are coming to Rancho Cordova. Um, maybe if you remember or if you have them there, you could say some, but how do they get here? Like, do we, does Amanda Norton and her team go out and actively court these people or how does it work? You know, for the big businesses, it's definitely a, a courtship process. Some of them just sort of appear, you know, they're working with their private brokers and and they're looking for sites and they find something, they rent the space and they're, they're here. Uh, for the larger ones, usually there might be some negotiations involved. Like we can come there, but we're going to have to alter some utilities. We might have to alter the building a little bit. What are you going to charge us to do those sorts of things, city? And so you have a you have a discussion about that, and we have programs set up to to facilitate right. it. Um, but in small businesses cases, it's usually just the you know the they owner just, the yeah. owner of the building is marketing the space, and someone they show up. Yeah, I you know it's funny. Uh, residents very often say to me they use some phrasing like the city is putting in a pizza restaurant there, you know something like that. Um, the city can't put anything in anywhere. It's a private business, right? The business owner is making a decision to locate there, and the property owner is making a decision to lease to the business that wishes to locate there. The city is a bystander to those transactions. We can't force people to go into into business in certain locations. Right. But you can stop businesses coming, right? With, yeah, sometimes. It just depends. But if I want to open, I don't know. I don't want to say, but a, oh, we, bus a business that is not 
Like another liquor store. A not an unsupportive business. Yeah. yeah. So going back to Growing Song Neighborhoods, one of our initiatives there was to figure out what kind of businesses actually harm our image and and damage our core. Well, I'll tell you one on Folsom Boulevard. Yeah. Liquor stores. Exactly. There's, there's a liquor store. There's one every next, block. Well, next to each other. Right. And and you may have not well, depending on how long you've been in you know, you may have noticed the number decreasing over time. It is decreasing. Which is yeah, which is not an accident. There was more? There were more. Because it just gives the when I when I first came here and I was going up and down Folsom, well, why are there so many liquor? Is everybody drinking here? Like it doesn't give a good image, right? To have so, and they're not like the best looking stores either. Part of it was the way California regulates uh, liquor stores, which is yeah. a, it's a pretty not, dumb. Not there's anything against liquor. Yeah, but, it's but a, you don't want a hundred liquor stores. In, exactly. In exactly. You yeah. don't want a hundred smoke shops. You don't right. want a hundred massage parlors. You don't right. want a hundred anything. Um, and, and so, you know, growing strong neighborhoods, we did restrict a category of businesses from um, having additional locations in certain areas because we deemed them to be over uh, impacted already. Right. Yeah. And on that subject, marijuana is big business. Still no marijuana here, right? No, our council has never really been no. supportive of that. And, you know, I, I have but does to, it bring a lot of revenue? You know, everyone thought that was going to happen, but sort of like all the other promises that were made in that legalization campaign didn't happen it did not really did not happen we benefited actually hugely from it in a, in a secondhand way because there was sort of a i don't know what people called it at the time a green rush or something yeah. um two jurisdictions that were pot friendly and so a bunch of traditional businesses saw that happening around them in those jurisdictions that were pot friendly and said we got to get out of here and so rents and ranch cordova particularly for like industrial and light manufacturing, things like that, just skyrocketed. Um, and businesses crowded to get in here because they were fleeing all the pot businesses that were being imported oh, into other jurisdictions. Really? And now those other pot businesses, by and large, have not survived in the other jurisdictions or done very well. So we really benefited um, from that in a secondhand way. Because I can give you an example where it did work. In Palm Springs, which is where I, you know, I lived mm -hmm. there for 20-plus years, a city next to Palm Springs, Desert Hot Springs. And Desert Hot Springs traditionally is sort of the poor city in the Coachella Valley. It's where the highest crime. And it was just, you know, it was a blight. They, the city council decided that they were going to allow the growing of marijuana there. And they, the growers came in in their droves. And now we fast forward, I don't know, five years, six, seven years, and it's booming. The city, hmm. Desert Hot Springs is... They put all the money back into the city. I was there the other day, and whoa, it's like a different city. Wow. It'd be interesting to see how much revenue they actually got yeah. from that. that I would, think That were, would be interesting. Yeah, because it's it's completely changed. The infrastructure there and just the buildings and just the beautification of the city, mm -hmm. which is something they never did before. Going back to the National League of Cities, this year is an election year. And it's it's going to be a testy election. Both candidates come with their own problems. You've got, you know, the current president and the past president, and both of them have their issues, whichever side of the coin you go in. Is that a hot topic for the NLC to get involved in the election, or do you stay out of it? It is a hot topic, yeah. but we are a nonpartisan organization, right. so we will not take sides in the election, but we will represent our issues there. So you don't endorse either side? We don't. But right. in, in my job as president, I will attend both conventions. Yeah. Uh, probably, oh, you will attend the convention? Probably speak at the conventions, yeah. yeah. You will? M most likely. Wow. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, there are yeah. some there are some some unusual things that happen when you're NLC president. Yeah. I was at uh, Davos just a few weeks ago, the World Economic Summit in wow. Switzerland. Did you bump into Elon? Uh, I saw where Elon was there, but did yeah. not bump into him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it was, it was a remarkable thing. That's yeah. sort of... One of those moments in your life, you look around and you wonder, how did I get here? Right, right. That's the perk. Right? What, where did, yeah. How did, did this you not, you Did you not have a meeting with Biden? Did you? I have Biden? met with Biden. Yeah. yeah. As as part of the NLC? Yeah. 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 Um, so what? how do you get involved? How does the NLC get involved? Well, what we'll do is, and we've already done this, is appoint some leaders to this committee and we will uh, sort of shape the issues because we've got, you know, a a phone book of issues with the NLC, given everything that cities are responsible for. But we'll pick some of those as sort of highlights for the year, and then we will engage with the campaigns on those topics. So, for example, I mentioned transportation funding earlier. We'll talk to both campaigns about this is how it's worked well 
direct funding to cities, how can we enhance it and make it work even better and try to get them to adopt that sort of thinking in their campaign or in how they would run their administration? And it's personal connections, um, probably even more important than sort of public declarations. What advice would you offer aspiring leaders who are passionate about serving their communities? Because you've done that for 20 years, without a doubt. And they want to make a positive impact at the local level. And do you think we should be reaching into our schools to find those people? Because, you know, your schools here, especially here, sports is a big thing, right? Yeah. Should, is, should we be going into the schools? We did a video for the city a couple of years ago which I don't know if you were part of, but it was careers in government. And we interviewed a lot of people at City Hall. And the, the aim of that video was for high school seniors to enter city government. Hmm. Um, do you think we should be doing that? I think there's important um, values to be learned there by our kids. And I think as a society here, you know, in California now, we are probably emphasizing the importance of that less than we than we have and less than we should. Um, we used to do, you know, have volunteer projects, sort of a requirement of being in high school. And I'm not sure that was the exact correct way to do it, but I don't think we're really inspiring citizenship no. the way we should right. in our young people. Um, and so jobs to an extent in government, yeah, but my, you know, my advice to people is you really ought to do what you care about and if you can help other people while you do that, so much the better. And it's almost always the case that if you care about something, you will be engaged with others in that. And, and society benefits. That's the place to start. Right. Um, I'm worried, you know, when someone says, oh, I want to run for office um, and they're still in college. I said, well, what have you done outside of college? Well, you know, I'm getting my degree in political science, you know, whatever. And I want to be an elected official. I think that is really not good preparation for that job. <laughs> Go out in the real world, do something, accomplish something, feel the passions, work with other people, build something, create something, then think about how can I continue to contribute and maybe being an elected official will be on that path. But we have to inspire that sense of um, citizenship that says, I'm not only here to take and participate in this community, I'm here to give back and do something. Um, I was raised with that. I, I think last time I was here, I probably joked about it. Maybe it's in my DNA and how I was raised because it's a, it's a generational thing. It's a cultural thing where I grew up in Southern Illinois. But here in California, I don't feel it the same way. I do in Rancho Cordova with a yeah. lot of people, and a lot of volunteers, but our state writ large, I, I think we're failing on that right. front. So on the subject of volunteering, the city of Rancho Cordova has a day of giving, a day of volunteering. Um, what, what's that all about? You know, it's a, it'll be a day of service this spring. And this is something we have done in a couple of different ways before. We've typically partnered with churches, yeah. which are great organizations as, as partners. Um, they can mobilize, you know, hundreds of members to come out and, and work on projects. The city accumulates a lot of projects and needs, you know, just going about our regular work, like code enforcement I mentioned right. before. Yeah. People who need things fixed up. We have parks that need help schools that need help, um, nonprofits that operate here that need, you know, assistance. We have this huge bundle of projects and the city, our job is to not necessarily fix all those things, but to facilitate right. solutions. And to the extent we can get people engaged in it, that's where day of service comes in. Right. And so. I think the city is actually in the process of sort of finalizing everything. And we're going to put it on our website, the day yes. and what you can do. But so if I'm interested in parks, for instance, I can go and maybe help clean a park? Or... Exactly. Yeah, there'd right. be a bunch of projects listed, yeah. and you might be sort of assigned or voluntold right, right. what you're doing. But right. I think you'll have a lot of discretion in, yeah. in what sort of task you'd, yeah, you'd yeah. want to pursue. That's very, very cool. And uh, we'll definitely put the date and we'll put a link because I think this, the city is in the process of – putting all that together. Yeah, we've done these before as like big neighborhood cleanups yeah, yeah. and we sort of focus on a neighborhood when we've done it and we've, and we've done it um, really with like a code enforcement basis yeah. through churches and like the Kiwanis Club or either the Mormon Church or uh, Sun River or River City Christian. Um, all those churches and have And who engaged. will manage this? The city or who will be This the... will be, yeah, city, yeah, city staff in conjunction with some other yeah. volunteer organizations wow. managing it. And it'll be hundreds of people at dozens of sites 
doing all kinds of, you know, right. fun tasks for like a morning. Right. And it, it's a really good time. So last question as far as the NLC, and let's pretend we're on CNN and I'm interviewing you. I'm Tucker Carlson or uh, Jake Tapper, just to give each side an equal thing. And I say to you, what do you want to accomplish doing your term as president of the NLC? What would that be? My goal is to re-expose civic leaders to this idea of community partnerships above and beyond anything we have we have considered before. If you look at the federal government and sort of the the resources that eventually we're going to find lacking there because of the you know the debt that we uh, we consistently operate with, um, federal government cannot bail us out of all of our local needs. State government can't. County government can't. It's really on us as civic leaders to figure out how to deal with our own problems. That's that statement's probably true ninety eight percent of the time, or some some percentage like that. And we have to get smart about how we do that because resources are not endless, but needs can feel endless. We have to get back to the basics and and talk about things that made cities work from time immemorial to what made us stand out. Not that long ago, you know, in the early 1800s, when Europeans would come here and look around, they were shocked that all these little cities were taking communities were taking care of their own issues without direction from the king. You know, it's sort of this this right. is a famous case, right, of the French noble being here saying, how is it possible you're making these decisions on your own? That's how things work best, you know, when we have people engaged in what they care about. So my fundamental role is to is to talk to our cities about there are better ways to do things than launch a launch a government program or ask for assistance from outside. Um, seek partnerships internally with your businesses, with your nonprofits, but most importantly with your residents to pursue those things they care about and address your city's most important needs through that method. And when you're speaking to whoever you're speaking to, are they receptive? They are. Yeah. But they also are generally looking at it through the lenses of uh, restrictions on yeah. what they can do. Right. They will uh, say, boy, you know, we've got a lot of labor agreements that don't allow our employees to do anything out of very specifically assigned job duties. Now, that's not really a restriction we have in Ranch Cordova, so that's, right. that's an advantage to us. But that does call into question, you know, why are we making those sorts of agreements if it restricts right. what our fundamental mission is as cities? Right. They'll also say, boy, you know, we could, we could do that, but that would be risky. We might get a, a bad headline in the, in the newspaper, and my response is – if you don't aren't willing to take risk, then you're basically condemning your city to a to a death because you're unable to evolve, you're unable to uh, improve anything or change anything for fear of the risk. Everything we do is risk. All yeah. growth is risk. Any benefit that we ever seek involves a little bit of risk. We just need to know how to how to better manage that. You mentioned the the talk I gave in January. Every January, I talk about risk and the importance of it. And I tell the residents of Ranch Canova, you know, if we don't make a mistake this year, you should be very worried about your city government because that means we're not trying anything. We're not trying anything new. We're not trying to improve anything. We're not trying to respond to anybody's concerns. That's how you don't have risk. You should expect us to make a mistake this year, at, at, at least one that you know right. about, perhaps more, because then you know we're trying. Right. And then the important part is to learn from it, to acknowledge it. Right. And, and move it. forward. Yeah. Yeah. As we come to a close, um, it's been 20 years since you were elected to the city council. Um, and as we've said, you've served five terms as mayor. And now in this term, you're also the president of the NLC. When you reflect back to 20 years ago, and then you looked at where the city is today, back to where it was 20 years ago, what comes to mind and what have you accomplished everything that you wanted to accomplish 20 years ago? Oh, my goodness. You know, everything takes so much longer than you'd hope. <laughs> well, that's government for you, yeah. I think that might be life. Yeah. yeah. I mean, my cleaning out my garage takes a lot longer than right. I would hope. But there's still a lot to be done. Yeah. You know, and I wake up every day thinking about, you know, what can I do today to better Rancho Cordova? Um, and I've been doing that for, for over 20 but years now. But when you look back, though, like, and you, you know, I don't know what it was 20 yeah. years ago, right? I've, I've spoken to a lot of people who were there with you, Linda Budge, mm -hmm. Kurt Haven, et cetera, Cyrus. They were all, and yeah. we've, they've all been here. We've talked. 
But when you look back and you look to today, there must be a certain sense of accomplishment, right? I oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just on the crime front alone. Yeah. What a remarkable change from where we were. Yeah. I don't think um, residents are really capable of, of sensing that, perhaps, unless they've lived here for that time period. Right. Because generally, people are really aware of uh, the dangerous things. They're not so aware of the positive right. things. But, you know, the numbers really, really tell Which, the story. Which, by the way, that, that rap is still... I think I've told this story when I first came here. People were like, why Roger Cordova? Yeah, It's yeah. dangerous. Exactly. And, and it's something I have never experienced. Never. Yeah. I've never experienced any sort of issue here. It takes generations to change that sort yeah. of community attitude, particularly but, among people who don't live but here. But what was so bad that people – that has – what was there murders? I mean – There was actual, that? you know, gang activity happening was. here. Revolving, yeah. you know, around drug trade and, you know, prisoner reentry and – and all sorts of things like that. It was, I wouldn't say out of control, but it was not good. Okay. And how did you change that? Well, uh, you know, right up front, we just about doubled the number of officers we had. And we created special teams to deal with special circumstances and then continually adapted as those situations changed. So early on, we had to have like a gang intervention unit um, that was specifically focused on those issues in Ranch Cordova. And as of now, we don't have any gang members here anymore. Right. So that, you know, the need for that's gone away. Right. As we basically laid out, you know, hey, gang members, Ranch Cordova, not a place for you. You don't want to be here. And we did that with unique partnerships like probation. We have probation officers that work for the city of Ranch Cordova. Yeah. They're, they are probation officers. And they work under code enforcement. Right? Yeah. yeah. And so if you're on probation and you're trying to figure out where to live, Ranch Cordova is not going to pop up as a, as a friendly right. place because your you're probation gonna... officer is going to come visiting here. Right. Um, and in other places, they won't because they don't have the staffing. So right. we made sure we had that partnership, the DA partnership, the partnership with um, like Neighborhood Watch that's been strengthened here. So we've made Ranch Cordova a very um, safe place to live. I mean, I think there's probably only one jurisdiction in the county that is safer than us by the numbers at this point. That's that's going to be shocking to some people. Wow. That that's how that's how much we've improved. Yeah. And, and our infrastructure as well. Yeah. Massive and, changes. And the police the chiefs that come here, are they chosen by the sheriff's office or are they chosen by the city council? They have to be captains in the sheriff's department. Yeah. And then we let them apply and we we choose from that there. But you choose them. We choose them. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes there's a large number to select them, sometimes it's it's narrower. Right. But yeah, we always choose. And finally. We're going to this last question. You've been hugely successful in shaping this city to what it is today and serving. What is next for David Sander? And I'll give you some, I'll give you some, you know, some possibilities. State Senate, Congress, like what's next? <laughs> and Boy. I asked you this last time. Yeah. And you told me that you were very happy here. But you know what? I know you now much better. I think there's, there's more that you could be very successful at. Any aspirations? I think there are other things I yeah. could be successful at. The question is whether I would be as satisfied in those rules roles. Yeah. You know, so I know. So just, I mean, Army Barrett told me that he runs every two years, which yeah. to me is horrendous. Yeah. The thought of running every two years. But is Congress something that is appealing to you? In an abstract way, yes. I mean, I, I worked there for a couple of years yeah. after uh, after college when I was a congressional science fellow. And so I saw sort of upfront and personal what that job is like. Right. There's some fun aspects of it for the for yeah. the member of Congress. But I don't know that I could make a difference in the real world um, there as much as I can here. Yeah. That was the pro that's probably what kept me from staying in right. DC. I just realized this is not this is not reality, this this zone that people are working in here, this bubble they're in right. in Washington DC. And I knew from my upbringing, you know, what the real world was like and some of the issues out there. And I've, I've always felt more drawn to that. Yeah. A locally state Senate wouldn't appeal to you? You know, I'd probably go downtown and I'd, I would just have my finger on the no button yeah. uh, in the we'll legislature. And I, and I don't know how much I could actually accomplish, right. you know, for real people there. I joked with a uh, state senator recently. I said, you know, I can get a stop sign put up and down. Uh, can you do anything like that? And he's like, oh, no, of course not. Yeah. You know? Like, right. <laughs> no, listen, I think um, local government is where it's all at. It's where it starts, right? 
Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more attention paid, you know, to people in other roles of government. But I, I actually think, you know, we use those terms higher and lower sometimes. And I kind of think we have them backwards. Yeah. You know, I think I'm at the high point of government right here, close to the people. Yeah. Making smart decisions and dealing with problems we all have on an everyday basis. I'd say the low end of government is places where you don't deal with regular people and don't have yeah. direct impact on people's lives. I mean, I definitely understand what you're saying, but having gotten to know you over two, three years that, I, that I've seen you in action, I definitely think that you would be very effective. Well, thank you for that. You know, I'm asked, I'm asked quite a bit um, that question. Yeah. And I did run in 2008 when I was, yeah. when I was, was young was, and yeah. <laughs> dumb. You're, you're much wiser those. now. Yeah. And that campaign also taught me a lot about yeah. California politics that right. is useful to me now, but I don't know that I'm really interested in repeating yeah. it. Okay. Mayor David Sander, PhD, thank you so much for joining us again on the Rancho Cordova podcast. And thank you for everything that you've done for this city. And thank you for everything I know you will continue to do for, to make Rancho Cordova even greater. And perhaps one year from today, we can be right back here, make it a yearly thing for you. That would be great. Every Valentine's Day, you come and you do the podcast. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. So there you have it, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Rancho Cordova podcast. It's produced by Jose Ruiz and engineered by Rafael Portillo. Please visit our website where you can listen to past shows. Leave us any show ideas or comments that you may have. My name is Charles Lego, and until next time.